This is Peter Hammond in the studio for From the Frontline, and we have just had our team, who've been away for four months, drive through the front gates earlier this morning. We are heading to a Biblical Worldview Summit tomorrow, and so we're recording this so that this will be broadcast while we are busy with our Biblical Worldview Summit, which we've been doing for 31 years now. But praise the Lord that the team is back safely. Daniel, Alishka, Judah, Mika, welcome back to Cape Town. And perhaps we could start off by uh, giving background uh, who you are, what experience you've had in ministry, and how you got involved. Let's start with you, Daniel. You've been in the field the longest. Sure. Yeah, this is now 10 years um, since I was able first to go into the field with Frontline. Um, we've gotten to go from the Cape up to Sudan, so it's been a real blessing to get to join that. And now this time in Zambia, Malawi, Mozambique. Um, so I've been very grateful to be back here. I'm getting to do about 17, 18,000 kilometers this last mission. So over four months. Alishka? Yes, so it's now just over four years that I've been with Frontline, and this was the longest overland mission that we've been doing, that I've been doing with the team. And it was filled with adventures. It was a wonderful time, and we're back to be back alive. Yes, well, when you say wonderful, that includes getting sick and being delayed at borders for hours and sometimes days and having to go to other border posts because you couldn't get through one. So, you know, when you say wonderful, you including um, the problems too. I include too. a lot of problems. <laughs> but that's what makes it exciting and memorable. Yes, indeed, because you overcame the obstacles so much so that you're actually back. Yes, yeah. praise God. And Judah, your first cross-border mission? Yes, indeed. This was my very first. Um, I once went by plane to Malawi, but that wasn't really this kind of thing we this time we drove thousands of k's um, throughout Malawi Mozambique Zambia um, met many pastors there and worked with them it was great to meet them and encourage them and also see the needs that are there amongst these remote villages that we visited now you also did some specific training and preparation for this quite a the missionary training you actually got some mechanical training in yes. preparation was that helpful very helpful. I had a mechanic down the road that taught me a lot, which I really needed for this mission because I had the responsibility of the vehicle. So I'm very grateful for that. And the vehicle performed very well. So, Which is amazing because we've had this vehicle for over 10 years and it was secondhand when we bought it. I think it must be approaching half a million kilometers on the clock if it hasn't overstretched it already. We got it with about a hundred and something thousand. I think we've added 400,000 kilometers. So it's kind of an old vehicle, and we're delighted to see it didn't just get in the field, but it got you back. Yeah, back, which is, I'm sure, yes, a lot of answers to prayer there. <laughs> now, Amika, you know, stranger to some of the mission fields that you were on here. In fact, you've been there before. Yes, I grew up in the mission field um, in Mozambique, and wow, it's been wonderful going back and some just revisiting a lot of the places that I've been as a child, but also to experience the the wonderful tar roads, or not so much tar, how did someone say on the team? Oh, look, there's tar between the potholes. So <laughs> it was an adventure going back. It was good to be back and very encouraging to see churches that I've seen as a young person, as a child, and just seeing how that's grown and leaders that's developed the churches and gone out from where they were when I was young. Yes. Now, if I'm not mistaken... Um you all, almost all, homeschooled, and so you come from a unique background and so on, and you're dealing with people who mostly aren't homeschooled. But there's quite a mix of, of backgrounds amongst you all. Now, Mika, 
you're pretty good at Portuguese, I believe, because you grew up speaking it. <laughs> yes, I do speak Portuguese, and um, but I must admit I had to dust it off when we went to Mozambique. It was a bit rusty. <laughs> but yes, um, languages, so that was a great plus to have that on the team, having one or two people that could speak Portuguese. And just I was quite amazed at how we were able to overcome cultural barriers. Um, yeah, people that was willing to go outside of their comfort zones and say, oh, I'll sit on the ground, um, I'll sleep on the mat on the floor. And yeah, that was wonderful, the team that was so um, adjustable and able to just fit in wherever they were needed and be easy mm. to host for the locals as well. <laughs> Judah, can I ask you, um, you did a great commission course just before departing, just, just, just before departing. For your first cross-border mission, did you find that helpful prep? Indeed. I, it was a three-week course, intensive training for missions uh, held by Frontline. I learned a lot, um, experience with a bit of teaching, um, some of vehicle, what to expect when you go to various remote areas like the animism. I learned a lot about that as well. And it was definitely worth doing. And I would recommend it to anyone that's considering missions. Um, before you go out, uh, it's really worthwhile. So you'd probably get more out of the next Great Commission course now that you know exactly what, and you could probably add some things that I wish I'd known about this and that as well before. And just mention just some team, some of the challenges that you faced that people in Cape Town or anywhere else in the world might find uh, surprising, that you know people would assume that life over there has got to be pretty much like it is here. What, what was different about the environments in which you're ministering in? One of the big differences is the, the way people live there. Most of their time they spend doing normal housework, sweeping. They have to carry all their water from down the river. Mostly the, the men make all the women carry the water up from the river, the firewood. They have to cook everything over wood fires, that they have to gather the wood. Um, it's really a different lifestyle. There's no flushing toilets, running water, electricity. So often there's no signal either. So. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, yes, well, that, that would be some people might think, oh, well, what's so important about having running water? Well, I mean, consider the fact that the average woman in Africa spends most of the time fetching water or collecting wood, making fires, and that means every drop of water needed for washing, cleaning, cooking, or drinking needs to be carried from somewhere. And I don't think many people understand just what a difference it is having electricity at a click of a switch as opposed to fetching and making wood fires and so on, uh, or the fact that you could have water on a tap, uh, how convenient that is compared to having to walk down to the water hole or the river and a mud hole and bring it back. And, of course, then there's the purifying of waters. And uh, Did anyone get sick uh, on this time? <laughs> we did. I was just going to say running water is just taking the water bucket very, very quickly back to the house. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we, we did have some sicknesses through the trip. Um, it was actually, as, as a whole, it was God had really kept us for the first several months with almost no sicknesses, just here and there. Um, but then... Yeah, she's just skipping over the, the dysentery and uh, um, stomach bugs and things like that, which is like normal. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you're basically healthy aside from... Right, yes, okay. right. <laughs> I mean, remember when we set you apart and prayed for you to send you out and I was speaking to those who might be going the first mission that um, welcome to the glamour of missions, which includes getting sick in the field and getting malaria and dysentery. Remember that? Um, and, yeah. so, and a lot of people laughed, but the fact is, it's true, isn't it? And then people say... Oh, how did you enjoy your holiday? <laughs> because when most people travel, 
It's for Holden. You've been to up to these exotic places. Mozambique, oh, prawns, LM. <laughs> so um, you probably didn't get much of that. But uh, yes, so give us some other ideas about some of the medical challenges and health issues that you encounter. Because I don't think most people realize, but in fact, there's something in the region of 5 million people die every year in Africa just from parasitic and waterborne diseases. Mm. So the fact of, uh, uh, just consider this, somebody challenged me a while ago that plumbers have saved more lives than medical professionals. <laughs> the provision of clean water has saved more lives and improved life expectancy vastly more than the entire medical profession. We're not trying to uh, uh, undermine how important they are. But you could add the pharmaceutical industry and the entire medical profession. It was put to me that you'll do more good work for the health of a village in Africa by providing a water point, a well, than you will by building a hospital. Because the provision of clean water actually prevents a lot of disease. That's just a thought to throw out to our listeners, because some people may wonder why some missions waste their time with something as unnecessary as digging a well, uh, which we've done a few of uh, in Sudan, and many people may have thought, well, what's so important about that? But I think you've just discovered a few of those things, didn't you? And what a wonderful opportunity it is as well. Um, <laughs> excuse the pun. But if you... Just the opportunity of being able to provide um, fresh water safe water to drink for a community, how that opens the doors of the people's hearts towards you. I remember we were visiting a missionary and the um, whole village was so much against the gospel. And But in the two weeks before we came to visit him, he was able to set up a tank and a water pump and solar panels to bring fresh water to them in the town. And that opened up their hearts so much because they saw he was caring for them, not only spiritually but also physically he saw their needs and that opened their hearts for the gospel and that he could reach out to them so yes do not undermine plumbers and yes. their skills well i mean for example um when i got our first mission house built up in sudan one of the things i transported was gutters many people think what an unspiritual thing to bring gutters in but i'd noticed that they had a big concrete water tank which we had to climb in and clean out uh, of course, but the gutters had been stolen. So we rigged up the gutters and we started to harvest the rainwater because it had quite a large roof area of corrugated iron roof. And mind you, we had to go and find some of the corrugated which had been stolen by different people. But we got it back there into this mission station. And next thing, I had every day a line of people lined up outside the mission house with their buckets, which we'd also brought in, uh, buckets to them, so that they could get the water nice clean rainwater out of our tank, uh, which of course we had to bring in also some of the mesh to keep mosquitoes and so on out from the top part to make sure this is real clean rainwater. And uh, that gave opportunity people coming to the mission house, we were able to minister and preach them even while they're lining up, filling up their water buckets because uh, it was easier than any other way. They didn't even have to pump. It's just literally opening the valve. And, but something like harvesting your rainwater and providing a pump, it provides how much ministry opportunity. And if anyone wants to read some missionary biographies, there's John Patton, Missionary to Cannibals, where the big breakthrough came when he brought water out of the ground by digging and digging, and the people were just standing around laughing, what, what's this going to do? And once the well came, then it opened up the whole village of the gospel. So let's not underestimate the fact that water is a great start for any gospel presentation, living water, uh, just uh, the fact of John 4, our Lord Jesus with the woman at the well 
discussing water led to an evangelist conversation. And that's an inspiration for evangelism explosion, where the master, how you begin starting with the practical and move through to the spiritual. So give us some other insights as to challenges when it comes to health issues. Because, you know, if we get sick here, it's quite easy. We just go to the pharmacy. I mean, how difficult is that? Yeah, we had some very small friends that came to visit us. And um, the mosquitoes, of especially of Mozambique, that um, we had a couple of us came down with malaria. um, And we learned all about different strains of malaria and treatments for. And (laughs) for about a month, it was trying to find find better ways to combat some of the malaria that we had. So that is a big one. And for even so many of the locals, just finding ways of... um, resisting protecting against and and responding there's so many even you know that that the that die with with malaria throughout those parts so um, but just finding ways to be able to treat that well so that was that was another challenge especially toward the end of the mission just to mention for those who are not aware every year over a million people in africa die of malaria alone malaria is no jokes and every one of our missionaries have gotten malaria and you've had malaria before Mm. But this seems to have been worse. Yeah, yeah. They've. The what couple, was different about this? So a couple of the doctors had um, diagnosed it just as a resistant strain of malaria. Um, now I don't know all the details. I sort of have a Mickey Mouse version of it in my head, but <laughs> it was just a bit more. We tried a couple me- medications, a few different medications, and it kept popping up. So now it seems uh, with this last one that's just finished a week or so ago that it's it's finally taken out many of the symptoms. So, yeah. well, again. The average listener probably hasn't had malaria. So what are some of the symptoms of malaria? Um, fever, shakes, um, boy, sore muscles and aches and joints and... Um, Headaches just, and migraines. Nausea. Yeah, nausea. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, all yeah. over, basically, you, you don't feel well. Yeah. Just feel lousy. Yeah, in a word, lousy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but it it can be super serious. If, you, if you've got the treatment, it can help mm-hmm. a lot. But if there's no treatment... There are many people who die of malaria. So mm-hmm. malaria is not something to ever take for granted. In fact, malaria is what made Africa the missionary's graveyard. And mm-hmm. they said the average life expectancy of missionary to West Africa was two years. And to West Africa could be up to six or eight years on rare occasions, depending where. And so a missionary like David Livingston, who survived in the field for 26 years, he beat the odds primarily because he had discovered quinine as the treatment for it. And he was decades ahead of the medical profession on that. And if it wasn't for quinine, Livingston wouldn't last the 26 years either. Uh, but still, so you, you've, between you, you've had weeks of, of some seriously debilitating illnesses amongst the mission, mm. and yet the mission went on. Yeah, and it is amazing. I mean, you just think of where where God says that in our weaknesses, it's then that he's strong. And even spiritually, where we weren't able to do as much as we had hoped or even to see as many people in the last portion of the mission, God was really at work in us. Um, I can just speak for myself and just some of the lessons that he was hammering through that last the last month at large. Um, and just amazingly, and in our weakness, that he is strong. Um, to work in ways that we we can't even understand. So often he gives us the ability to see ways that he's answering in prayer, and others we we don't even recognize how he's working. But he really it it is it is good to consider the faithfulness of our God in the midst of all of you know that that we do go through. Now you were in some very remote areas, mm. some areas so remote that not even the pastor had a full Bible, mm. or even a New Testament in some cases. You're in some areas where most of the people, as in over ninety something percent, were Muslim. And 
many people may not fully understand what all that means, but uh, spiritual warfare is obviously very real because you're involved in sometimes at the frontiers of gospel work. And in that case, there's often spiritual dimension. So it's understandable you would have suffered some physical problems from contaminated water, mosquitoes, malaria. But do you think that there was more than that, that there was a spiritual warfare component to what you were facing? Yeah, very much so. Yes, um, as you were mentioning, how um, the people, sorry, um, how lonely they were. And I remember we were visiting a church in Malawi and we were just sharing, yes, the, the fa Christian family back home, they're sending greetings. We are praying and we're thinking for you. And one of the pastors responded and said, now we know we are not alone and we are remembered. That just really struck my heart that, that was their thoughts. That was how they, they thought of themselves, that they were forgotten about their, by their own Christian family. And so encouraging to know that now we have their contacts, we can go back, we can visit them. And more than that, we can pray for them. Every Christian here in South Africa, if we know about someone out in the field or know someone personally that's gone back to a homeland or however, that we can always be praying for them and encourage them, them in faith. Hmm. Yes. So, Alishka, what was your perception? Um, Spiritual warfare? Yeah, and spiritual warfare, I think that, as you mentioned, we went into very dark places, places where um, the, there's not much Bible. Some of the pastors only have notes to preach from. So um, we had a lot of challenges from that, and we learned from the missionaries we stayed at last that there was a time that the Uem, who was... Um, was the missionary there, he went through a time where he felt like there was almost a curse on him, that he went through his work, it felt like everything went wrong. Uh, mentally, he felt almost, um, yeah, just down and depressed a lot and um, just longing to see God, but not really um, getting that connection, if I can mm -hmm. say it like that. And I think part of that, some of us also experienced. Um, and then it's also just... There's the practical part to it as well. When you don't get enough sleep, you don't care for yourself um, as well as you usually do, then emotionally and spiritually we become more weak and we come, become targets. And yeah, obviously Satan is out there and there is um, he is always at work and we need to always be on guard um, physically, emotionally and spiritually. And yeah, there is times that he do come through, especially through sickness as well. When we are weak, then he knows that as well. And God is strong and we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to actually apply scripture mm. to ourselves. And I found that difficult um, with prayer specifically at sometimes um, when praying that it seemed almost God is a bit further away. And that is times when you really need to remind yourself of the truths of the word of God, mm. that he's always faithful. Um, so, yeah, we experienced some of that. Um, I think a lot of people may struggle to understand the reality of spiritual warfare in many of these areas because uh, we take a lot for granted in areas where the church is well established. And so many people look and see stories about Professor Martin Luther, if they read about it, where he felt the presence of Satan so so closely that he literally threw an ink pot at the devil at one point while he was translating the Bible into German in a Wurtburg castle. I've been up there up in Germany and uh, you can actually see the ink stain on the wall um, mm -hmm. from, from uh, uh, that 
500 years ago, uh, a spiritual encounter. But most people don't know about those sort of things. But in the field, and I must say, in my experience in Mozambique, I experienced some of the most serious spiritual warfare ever. We feel absolutely almost panic-stricken sometimes with uh, the, the sense of being vulnerable physically, spiritually, emotionally, and the powers of hell are attacking you. And this thing that when we are invading or encroaching on the devil's territory, there are real serious, and people in the West may laugh at it, but the fact is that witch doctors put curses on missionaries, and the devil does have a certain amount of power, and of course we are told to put on the full armor of God for good reason. And I don't know how many intercessors have ever had the experience of being woken up in the middle of the night to pray for some missionary far away. But you should always respond to that because uh, there is a serious spiritual warfare. And uh, those of us who've been in the field, there are times when you cannot understand in the light how you could have been in that state sometimes in the darkness, not just physical darkness, but spiritual darkness, and uh, that Christians can reach that. But if we read in the Scriptures, even the Apostle Paul had such deep, dark, despair times. And uh, the fact is, when you're physically and emotionally worn out and wrecked, and of course the roosters crowing from two in the morning doesn't help, and uh, there's all sorts of other noise that can keep you up, and when the drums are playing through the night, and there's a whole lot... I, I remember that even wearing earplugs and just the drums and find your heartbeat going in time with the drums and you just can't... Because nothing could stop just coming straight through the seemed like paper-thin walls and the thatch roofs. and So basically, uh, I don't know that our average prayer warriors and friends outside recognize the reality of what you can face on the field. But, but you all faced that this time, didn't you? Yeah. One thing that struck me, in Malawi in particular, <laughs> they say in Malawi that you kick a bush in Malawi and a missionary falls out. <laughs> but again and again, I saw villages that even those that profess to be Islamic were deeply involved with witchcraft and animism and they respect the witch doctor they go when their child is sick they take them to the witch doctor the witch doctor um, will come up with some reason for why the child is sick they'll have to make sacrifices and that's just how the people live they respect the witch doctor and they go to him with their problems and the witch doctors really consult the spirits and the the demons are there and they um, Satan's kingdom is there. Um, even in Islam, we saw a lot of Malawi, especially in southern Malawi. Um, there's Islam. Some of those places, over 90% Islamic. And Christians there are really persecuted, um, which I was surprised by, especially in Malawi. Um, friends of ours, their churches, some of their pastors there, churches were burned, um, papers burned from the churches, pastors' lives threatened. Now, this is in Malawi. This is close by. This is just um, north of South Africa. Um, I knew that kind of thing was going on in Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq and up there. But even just here, Christians are being persecuted in that way, which was very shocking for me to see. So these Christians really need our prayers. And um, please think of them and pray for them because they really, really appreciate that. Yes, so you were delivering ultimately tons of Bibles and books and Sunday school materials and tracks and so on. And you even got resupplies because there's only so much you can carry in a trailer and four-wheel drive vehicle and roof rack. Um, but you got resupplies and we 
grateful for special projects and designate support that we could get more Bibles from local Bible societies and local languages. But I think many people um, may struggle to understand just how much the people need teaching. Now, many of the pastors don't actually have any Bible college training, do they? And uh, many of them don't even have resources. Some don't even have libraries. And so the needs of bringing libraries to pastors, to Bible cultures, to schools, all of this is, is so important. But I think many of our people also miss the fact that while many of our pastors are very secular humanist and aren't very Bible orientated, in fact, you can see right now, there's many pastors spending more time repeating the COVID cult narrative uh, socially distanced, take your temperature, not the spiritual temperature, the physical one, um, that not separate from the world, but socially distanced. Uh, if only they put as much energy into proclaiming the gospel and discipling as they do into the whole masquerade madness and, uh, oh, we've got too many people in church now, you can't come in, we've reached our 50 limit or whatever, and you must get vaccinated. There's churches where pastors are, in fact, saying the same thing that the world is saying. In fact, their message is roughly the message of the World Health Organization. And maybe people don't recognize that we've been influenced by secular humanism and by Hollywood and the secular media. But when you get into some of these remote areas, people have been influenced by animism to the same extent that many of our churches are syncretized with secular humanism. So we may not be too surprised that in our societies we've got people who are pro pastors, but they're pro-abortion and they say, you know, only the vaccine can save you and this vaccine is going to save your life. And even we've got a church in Cape Town put a big banner up saying the blood of Jesus will not save you from COVID-19, not underlined. Get vaccinated now. Now imagine if they put up a poster saying no vaccine can save your soul, only the blood of Jesus can. Now that would be more true, but we've got horrific syncretism in our society where some people, pastors, are more like secular humanists. Then then maybe they're Christians in their heart, but they're secular humanists in mind. But you've got another problem in places in the rural areas of Malawi and Mozambique where it's like animism is the influence on the people like secular humanism is in many of our societies. Can you give us some insights there? Maybe in brief, there's there's a talk actually that was given by Conrad and Bayway called Are We Preachers or Witch Doctors? And it very well encapsulates from a, a pastor in Zambia that very dynamic. And even in going into some of the rural places in Zambia, we asked them as to, do you come on Sunday mornings or in your prayer closets and, and in prayer chant before the Lord as you would the witch doctor or chant as he would before the spirits? Or, or do you come to the witch doctor for your problems? And, and often there was sort of an uncomfortable laughter in the, um, in the, among the people, among the pastors even. And several times our translator would say, yes, they're laughing and they're raising their hands because they know this is true. This is what they do. Um, and even when we would ask them on a couple occasions to raise their hand, how many of you go to the witch doctor? It was unbelievable to see the percentage of people that would actually go to witch doctors. In Mozambique mm. as well, we asked them to act out two plays on a few occasions. And the first we said, act out how in your village people respond if a child is sick. And they would act out um, that they would, first they could maybe go to the church, they could pray, but if that didn't work and they didn't see any change, they would take that child to the witch doctor. And certainly with the pressure of the family, they would see what must this, uh, we need a fix now and how can the witch doctor do that. 
Um, even we asked them to act another play to say, how should we respond? And there it was in going to prayer and trusting and seeking even the medical attention that was available. Um, but in their own village, they admitted again and again and again just the influence of the witch doctor and the impact of animism in their thinking, that they can come to the Lord for salvation, but that's it. And, and the kingdom is still witchcraft and and the the king is still their own the, the spirits and and they've not seen that God is king over all aspects of their life um, so it is very much very influential through so many of those areas now we have in many parts of South Africa as well and America and all over the world a prosperity cult where people are told come to Jesus and he will solve all your problems he'll make you healthy and wealthy and uh, name it and claim it Gab it and grab it, uh, name it, claim it and frame it, prosperity cult. And uh, it's, you know, come to Jesus for what he can give you. Do you see anything like that in the field? And in a sense, are there people coming to church for what they can get out of it in a sense of healing, prosperity, anything like that? Yeah, you could say that in, in many places it's a mixture of that African way of thinking and the Western way of thinking. And so you have that, what you've described, as sort of this Western influence from America, from Europe. A materialistic coming, gospel. Yeah, largely th even into Africa through places like Nigeria, but all through, especially Southern Africa, you see all over that making its way more and more into, into the thinking of the people, that mixture of Western thinking and African thinking. And so it is kind of a funny mix between coming to church, coming to Christianity to get something for yourself, and if you don't get that, find it somewhere else, and also seeking, well, how do you get that? You go to the witch doctor, and so you functionalize Christianity like they do in animism. Um, but also even within Islam, the same thing, like Judah was saying, that you can come to Islam and they actually encourage in so many places that the, the adherence to the, the Muslims, that they will continue to go to the witch doctor. They just need to come to say Allah is God and Muhammad is prophet and come to the mosque and they can live however they want. And even in the mosques, they're encouraged to do so. So it's, it's across the world views through Southern Africa. And so we must really cool not only in bringing the gospel to Muslims, but in taking the gospel to the churches, many of whom are not holding out the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, so we praise God where that is being held out and, and seek the, just the, for wisdom and coming alongside those churches to see how can we be encouraging our brothers and sisters to continue in that work of discerning and calling out and encouraging so that mm -hmm. they, in those places, can continue to make the stands that they are. So missiologists have a term for this. It's called syncretism. Syncretism in the West, looks like mixing secular humanism with Christianity. In much of Africa, it's mixing animism with Christianity. And of course, Islam's got the same problem where they've got what they call folk Islam, where basically they've mixed animism. And Haiti is a classic example where Catholicism and voodoo has been so merged. And you get these problems in other parts of the world too. You get Hinduism uh, overlapping with Christianity, Buddhism, and so on. So in an age of globalism and of the internet and of TV and so on, we've seen a lot more mixing because in the past, maybe a Hindu village might be totally Hindu or a Christian village might be totally Christian. But today there's a lot of mixing. This complicates and we need to, like a doctor trying to diagnose a problem, we need to diagnose the worldviews before we can deal with it effectively. Now, the reformers had five battle cries to help us to evaluate what we should be aiming for. And, and these are the five solas in Latin Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is the ultimate authority. 
Sola fide salvation is received by faith alone. Sola gracia salvation is by grace alone, received by faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone is the head of the church. And the fifth one is soli dio gloria. Everything must be done to the glory of God alone. Now, evaluating on that basis, we can tell where our churches and other churches stand. Is Scripture the ultimate authority? Is Christ the head of the church? Are people praying to Christ and trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Or is it, Pastor, please pray for me. Not pray with me, but pray for me. I mean, praying with someone is good. But the idea that I can't approach Christ directly, but you, you're the man of God. And if you can pray for me, you know, your prayers are obviously going to be far more effective somehow because uh, they don't have an understanding of the priesthood of all believers. They don't understand they can go to God directly. And there's all these uh, where we can see that's why we need new reformation because people have moved off away from Scripture, away from Christ, got distracted. It's, it's maybe grace plus works. Uh, it's not only faith. Uh, there's other things that have to come in. So when you're evaluating on this, how did you tackle them when you come to these churches, you see oh, syncretism, animism, prosperity cult, the dangerous thing. Is the pastor really being a shepherd or is he being more like how the local witch doctors would do it but in religious garb? So how did you tackle? What was the solution you were offering? With prayer. <laughs> well, that's a good start. And praise the Lord for the literature we were able to take along on a trip. Um, when the missionary leaves, the Bible can stay behind. If it's in their local language, if they're able to read, then the Bible's able to minister to the people. And um, a lot of the places we saw literature, oh, this literacy, so where people weren't going to school, especially rural areas. And yes, the Lord provided wonderfully that we were able to take audio Bibles along and specifically to leave that behind with churches there. And some of those audio, audio Bibles contain more than four, that more than three languages. Some of them contain four. Mm. And this enabled them to reach out also to other cultures and groups around them. And not only to center it around their own church, but to encourage them. But to go out, share this world, word with others. And we were also able to take um, uh, electronic libraries. on Digital libraries. Digi digital libraries. Thank you very much which were very easy to transport and, of course, much smaller than a real library. And leave that. <laughs> and everyone's got a phone in this age that can take an SD card. So we were able to yeah, give Yeah, even that. if there's no internet connectivity, it doesn't yes, matter. Yes, the, the SD card's going to work and they've got access. Exactly. And so it was encouraging to see how they were able to download these materials and give to others to also use. And to know for sure that we're leaving trustworthy material with them that they can use to help their churches, strengthen their church, to know that they can be teaching um, from the Word. That now suddenly they also had more than one translation of the Bible available. Maybe one in their mother tongue and one in a more um, national language, language mm -hmm. or trade language. Mm -hmm. And so also so that they could share that way with others that before perhaps they couldn't share with their neighbor because their neighbor was from a different tribe and from a different language. Mm -hmm. Um, that was very encouraging, and yes, the sponsors and the, the, that the Lord provided so that we could take these materials. And also just Bible societies where we could pick up Bibles and we don't have to travel with it all the way. Yes, that was a great blessing. Excellent. And now, you're also doing quite a lot of ministry with the women and children who often get neglected. And so, Eliska, you and Amika, you particularly focused on, on the school ministry and the women's ministries. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, um, specifically now for the children's ministries, as Amika mentioned, there's a lot of illiteracy in many of the places we were at. And um, that's where the children are not 
going to school just because the parents don't see any value in it. Because in Malawi, education is made free just to encourage the people to send their children to school. And still you find children just running around in the streets, just playing around, not going to school. Um, even at one place we went to a good Catholic, well, not a Catholic is not always the, the good gospel, but we went to a Catholic school that was um, a good school, good education there. Mm. And we shared there. And just close by that school, um, there's a whole village with um, many children that just don't go to school. And one of the pastors um, who took us there, he's been driving through that village a few times. And then on the every time he looks at these children, children just playing there, not spending time learning anything. And the third time, it was really pressed on his heart that he needed to do something for them. So he decided he's going to open a children's center and um, call the children there, get some of the ladies in his community, Christian women from the church, to go and to teach the children how to, um, you know, just basic, how to take care of themselves, how to clean themselves, um, the basic alphabet, things like that. They are teaching them the Bible stories and so on. And then he told us an encouraging story saying about all the need that you see around with the children specifically now. It seems like you'll never be able to fulfill all that needs. And he said um, he was reminded of the starfish story where there was a child who was on the beach with a lot of starfish and he was just throwing one by one back in. And then someone came along and said, no, what you're doing is useless because there's so many and all those can get washed out again anyways. And he said, well, I'm making a difference for the one that actually stays in. So he's saying you can get overwhelmed by all the need that you see around you. But if you are faithful where God placed you, which is what he is, mm -hmm. then um, you can be encouraged in that. And he sees the um, difference in those children's lives. So we were able to share with them also. And they were joyfully taking part in acting out the story of Genesis and fall into sin um, and singing along afterwards. So yeah, that's just one of the stories. Yes, I think one of the favorite stories that we acted out was the crucifixion and um, especially where Jesus came in on the donkey into into Jerusalem right before the crucifixion. They found it very funny to be acting out a donkey and we usually would get the, big, the oldest child to carry the youngest child on his back entering um, into the town and just to make them realize, um, but what did Christ really do? What did he suffer for us and a lot of them don't have this biblical knowledge they don't have parents that read the bible and therefore they don't have a clear understanding of what did christ do mm. to most of them it's just a little bit that they've heard in church and not a clear message either only bits and pieces and often filled with a lot of theology and not really understanding the basics of the gospel and it was so that we um focused on sharing with them um basic uh, j stories from the Bible just that they could understand and apply to their lives, helping them understand how sin came into the world, how can we be saved, but also applying that to getting that from the Bible story so they also have biblical knowledge mm -hmm. that they could also share at home again with their own siblings or with their parents or friends, however they want. Yes, I think, again, many people might misunderstand. You might look and say, oh, Africa's evangelized. Boy, look at this. This country's got 70% Christians. This is great. No missionary work needed here. But whereas a couple of generations ago, the gospel was even being taught in the average school, even the government schools had religious instruction, Bible education, assemblies, uh, scripture readings, prayer, and so on in the schools, ministers coming. It's not so right now. In fact, 
Isn't it true that most of the countries in Africa, the school textbooks are produced by UNICEF, United Nations mm -hmm. Education Fund, and these are secular humanist, situation ethics, evolutionary, billions of years, godless curriculums that are promoting everything from the LGBTQ agenda, abortion, and you name it. And so right now the schools are actually part of the problem in many cases. They're not educating the children as much as indoctrinating with an anti-God worldview, a very secular worldview. And then they're getting animism in the villages, they're getting secular humanism in the schools, and the media is giving something often even worse. So uh, again, it seems that in many cases, while the numbers of churches around Africa is quite impressive, a number of nominal Christians is quite impressive, but when you scratch the surface, just like, you, you can do this in England, America, or South Africa, even down Cape Town. There's a lot of people who are nominally Christians, but they don't know much about the gospel, or they've got a distorted view, and they now are more secular humanist, animist, and therefore the we cannot assume going to church and seeing the people well-dressed and think, oh, everyone here knows the Lord, and there's nothing I really have to teach. When you sit down and you chat to the people, you visit them in their huts, and you speak to people in the streets, don't you discover that actually the vast amount of people do not know the gospel and they don't understand basic biblical teaching and the biblical worldview has been undermined. So uh, evidently your perception has been changed by interacting with the people. You can see the needs far greater than we thought. Uncle, what Uncle Peter Hammond just said is very, very true. The governmental schools are teaching kids how to think in often a communistic way or a, a secular way way of thinking so that that generation will grow up um, just loving the world and doing what the world wants and so I've been very blessed um, to be homeschooled my whole life and my coming from a Christian family um, with Christian curriculums it's been a wonderful blessing and I would highly recommend that um, to homeschool your own children and not to send them to these indoctrination senses that mm -hmm. some people call schools. Um, I would really not send my child to these places where they mm -hmm. teach secular humanism and so much more that's really unhelpful for yeah. the next generation. Which is why we run Biblical Worldview Summits, for example, to give a biblical perspective to understand how to apply the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life. Now, we are getting to the end of our time. So, uh, obviously, we're going to have more report backs, opportunities for you to uh, give details. If people want to visit www.frontlinemissionsa.org, you'll see over the next weeks um, more reports, prayer letters uh, put up. If anyone would like to be in touch with any of the team members and get on their personal prayer le letters, you know, whether for Daniel, for Lishka, for Mika, for Judah, uh, those will be getting up onto our websites next while, and you can contact us at mission at frontline.org.today and find out the personal emails of any of the team members that you may want to communicate with. But before we close, let's give each person a chance to say something in conclusion. Alishka, would you like to... What final words would you have for our listeners? Yeah, I would just like to share a scripture from Philippians 2 that's been a great encouragement to all of us as we were um, sharing about the importance of humility um, often we found people just want to be important in churches and places. That's the same for us. So um, we were reminded of Christ who was obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself from heaven above he came. And then seeing all these people that don't know him, we were reminded that one day, um, I'll just read that. 
how God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And I think that's what I've been holding on to. That's what's been encouraging me throughout this whole time. And, um, yeah, what we pray for the people also to realize. Judah, from you. Um, one thing I really learned is there's unsaved people all around you. And it's not about if you have a mission field or not. It's about where is your mission field. Right where you are, at home, at work, um, at school. There are so many people that need to hear the gospel, that need... To be witness to wherever you are, be a witness for Christ. I really want to encourage you for that. Amen. Thank you, Judah. Amika? Yes, and just thinking about First Thessalonians 10. Night and day we pray most uh, sorry, First Thessalonians 3, verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And just thinking about how we've left our brothers and sisters in Christ behind and yet we can continue to pray for them and not forget them and even yeah, our mission field might be there and one day we will go to them or it might be here and now but still we can be praying for them all the time Thank you Mika. Daniel? I'll just conclude with continuing on the passage Eliska mentioned from Philippians 2 and, and based on that truth that we find that everyone will confess everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord if you are ever confused Remember that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Start there. There's enough time to work out the rest, but start there. C.T. Studd, the great cricketer turned pioneer missionary, said, Some like to live within sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He also said, Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Please keep the team members and the many pastors, evangelists, teachers, co-workers in the field and the many Christians and those that were witness to on this mission in your thoughts and prayers. Let's continue to lift up Malawi, Mozambique and Zambia to the Lord in prayer. Uh, keep praying for frontline mission teams that we'll have enough resources, safe and reliable vehicles and uh, the Bibles in local languages needed in order to go and uh, follow up on these great ministry trips. So thank you so much for joining us for all your prayers and support. May God bless each one of you and do visit www.frontlinemissionsa.org for our annual report and the missions reports that will be uploaded as soon as is possible. Thank you so much. God bless and good night. <laughs>